Merry Christmas. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. In a city that never sleeps, not because there's anything going on, but because they just don't sleep very well, there's someone who sleeps like a baby, and his name is Sam. Sam Shovel. Hello, I'm Sam. Sam Shovel. I got a call about a disturbance in Jerusalem. It seems King Herod got some troubling news from some traveling wise guys. Something about a baby and a ruler and a shepherd. Now, I don't know why that would be troubling to a king like Herod, but I don't know why a baby would have a ruler either. Doesn't seem like an appropriate toy for a baby. Maybe the shepherd had the ruler, but why would a shepherd need a ruler? Uh, maybe a measuring tape, but I'm still not sure what a shepherd would be measuring. His sheep? Well, then wouldn't a measuring tape be better? Unless they're really tiny sheep. Then maybe a ruler would work. But what if they're 13 inches? <laughs> then he'd have no way of knowing how, exactly how tall they are. S-M-H, a shepherd with a ruler. Who ever heard of that? Who is it? It's Adrian, and Sam, why are you here? Come on in, Fabian, but uh, I'll be asking the questions here. Well, it's, it's Adrian, and uh, I just thought these dear folks might like to know my name, Adrian, and that I thought we had a Christmas Eve service planned uh, this, this evening, 
Uh, Merry Christmas, you all. Thanks for joining us here at Carney Free. Merry Christmas to those watching online and those in the venue. Um, but yeah, by all means, Sam, wh what's going on? Well, I just got done introducing myself, Atrium. <laughs> Again, Sam, I, I just kind of thought, reminder, it, it's Adrian, not Atrium, but just kind of thought it would be helpful for these dear folks to understand that Sam Shovel is one of our characters in our monthly family experience that we put on each and every month, first Wednesday of the month for E-Free kids and parents. Would you excuse me for a minute, Adrenaline? Sure, be my guest. <laughs> I'm not sure who this guy is, but it seems you all do, so I'm willing to play along. Maybe he can help me crack the case of the crazy King Herod and the baby boy with the shepherd's ruler. We'll see. Well, Age of Men, do you have any information about the story with the baby ruler and the crazy King Herod? It's Adrian. <laughs> and uh, I think it's Matthew who is writing this gospel, and Matthew is writing about a great shepherd who would ultimately be a ruler. Not a little baby toy, he would be a ruler. He would be the great king who would come from the town of Bethlehem. And ultimately, right, Matthew is writing about Jesus, who would be the great shepherd over his people, leading us to peace. Mm-hmm. I see. So the ruler isn't a baby toy. It's also not a measuring stick for the shepherd. And you're telling me that the shepherd would become a ruler as in, a, he would become a king. Yeah. That explains why King Herod was in a tizzy about the news from the wise guys. Yeah, yeah. Now you're getting it. Excuse me. This guy seems to know a thing or two about this case. Maybe too much. Might have to keep my eye on him. Well, Aegean, it seems like you know a few things about this case. But what about the wise guys who followed the star? Do you yeah, care well, to shed some light on that part of the story? Sure, that was a good one, Sam. Yeah. So the wise guys are actually wise men. They're magi who came from the east, and they see this great stellar event in the sky, and they know the Jewish scriptures that foretold centuries past the newborn king of the Jews, well, would be coming. And so they see this great event in the sky, this uh, amazing star of some kind, and they probably traveled far away, hundreds of miles far from the east, likely far from Persia, and they arrive in Jerusalem. And as they go to Jerusalem, they're asking about this great star, and they're directed far from there into Bethlehem. And it's in Bethlehem that the star settles right over the manger, Sam, and they come bringing these costly gifts as an opportunity to worship the newborn King Jesus, the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they're warned in a dream by God not to go back through Jerusalem where King Herod was, but in defiance of King Herod, they go back home to Persia through a different route. I see. Excuse me. Well, there you have it. In a stroke of pure genius, I've done it again. 
Cracked the case and solved the mystery of the crazy King Herod and the baby shepherd's wise guys. I suspect that this guy, what's his name again? Adrian? No, that's not it. <laughs> Whatever his name is, I suspect he's got a lot more to say, so I'll move on to my next case. I'm Sam Shovel, private detective. Thank you, Sam. Yes, my name is Adrian. <laughs> I'm one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free, and welcome again. Merry Christmas. So good to be with you tonight. I'm not exactly sure how you transitioned from a skit with, tran with Sam Shovel to the Christmas message, so uh, stick with me, and we'll do our best. Why don't we open in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into tonight's message. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful evening. What a joy it is to celebrate the birth of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He has come to bring peace on earth. He has come to be the light of the world. And uh, God, as we come to this place, Carney E. Free tonight, we've got lots of stuff on our minds, and so we ask, God, that you would just settle our hearts a bit. I pray for those who are watching online right now and those in the venue as well that we all collectively would just be settled in this moment, that we could worship the newborn king again and experience a little bit more of the peace that he has for us. Even today, even as we wrap up 2021, Lord Jesus, you came to bring peace. We love you, we praise you, and we give ourselves to you now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, are there any kids here in this room who are Super excited for Christmas morning. Raise your hand with me. All right, all right. Now, as you have your hands raised, kids, do you have like a particular present that you are especially excited for? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, me too. Like, is there even a Christmas present that maybe you're a little bit anxious about? What if I don't get this particular present? Yeah, me too. I once read of a young boy writing a letter to Jesus about a Christmas present that he badly wanted, but he was worried he might not get. And he began the letter like this, Dear Jesus, I've been good for six months now. And then upon further reflection, he paused and he crossed out six months and he wrote three months. Then he paused and reflected for a moment and crossed that out as well, and he wrote, two weeks. <laughs> there was yet another pause, and he crossed those words out as well. He got up from the table, and he went over to the little nativity scene, perhaps similar to the one that you have in your home. There was Mary and Joseph and the Magi and the shepherds, and he goes up to that nativity scene, and he picks up the figure of Mary and went back to his writing, and he started again, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again... <laughs> It just seems like in one way or another, worry has always been part of the Christmas package, hasn't it? Like no matter the year, no matter how good life is, worry has always been a part of the Christmas package. And even more so, 
on that very first Christmas. Almost everything we know about that first Christmas would have been anxiety-producing for us. Like, you know the story already, but what a story it is. Mary is told by the angel Gabriel that she was pregnant with a child that has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. She's engaged to be married to Joseph, but she's not yet been with Joseph. Joseph's likewise told in a dream by this same angel Gabriel that your, your wife-to-be, your fiancé, is with child, and she will bear the Son of God. He will be the light of the world that comes into this world. He is salvation that has come to men. But Joseph, don't worry. They're told in a dream to walk 100 miles south from their hole-in-the-wall town called Nazareth to a bustling little city called Bethlehem. And so... Joseph puts his 39 weeks pregnant teenage fiance onto a donkey, and they make this 100-mile journey on a rough and rugged road to an unknown town called Bethlehem where she would give birth. Joseph gets into this town, and as you might remember, he's looking around, knocking on doors, trying to find an inn of some kind that Mary could deliver the baby. No matter where he goes, he gets the answer of no, there's no room in this inn for you. It's possible all of the rooms were rented, but I would say more likely it's because they do not have marriage papers. And theirs was a much more conservative culture than ours, they could not rent a room in any inn without marriage papers. It's kind of like it was in the United States a couple generations ago that a man or woman couldn't go to a hotel and rent a room together unless they were married. That's how it was back in that culture. So he's moving around feverishly, and as he does so, Mary's water breaks. Worry anyone? No. <laughs> Mary's water breaks, and she begins to cry, and Joseph darts about just trying to find shelter. And fortunately, there's a merciful farmer who says to Joseph, I don't know all your story, but you can come in here, and you can find safety here in this shelter. I don't need to ask you a hundred questions. You can come here and be safe, and you can have your baby right here. And Joseph says, thank you very much to that, and Mary's face crumples some more as Joseph begins to scoop the manure and create some space and lay down some sheepskin blankets. And Joseph, who's a carpenter, all of a sudden becomes a delivery doctor for the God of the universe to be born into this world. Worry anyone? Well, a couple days later, after Jesus was born in that stable, Mary is still recovering, and some royalty that we've already heard about from Sam's shovel come from the east, and they ask, where is this one that we have heard about through the Jewish scriptures? He was prophesied all these hundreds of years before, and now I see that prophecy is about to take place, and we saw this miraculous, stellar event. Where is this one that was going to be born, the king of the Jews? And they go to Jerusalem to ask about that because Jerusalem is the epicenter of all things in that culture. And word climbs up the ladder all the way to King Herod. 
And King Herod gets this word that there's a newborn king that has come into the world. And maybe you heard his response as Andrea gave the reading tonight. Matthew 2, verse 3, Herod responds like this. When King Herod heard this, that there was a newborn king, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. Other translations say, King Herod was distressed, and all of Jerusalem with him. So the stress went out from the leader to the leader's family, to the neighborhood, to their community, into the entirety of the city until it's living under this very heavy cloud called worry. And isn't that kind of the way worry works? Like it's transferred from one person to another. Isn't that to some degree the way it's worked in our nation over these past couple years? That worry is felt on high, in high places. Maybe worry is felt by someone in the family, and then it transfers to other people in the family. And then it transfers to others in the extended family, and it transfers to the neighborhood and the community until we have what we've had in the United States and probably across the world for these past couple years, this ugly, good-for-nothing dark cloud of worry hanging like a cloud over our culture. Is there anybody with me here tonight? You know what I'm talking about? This is what it's been like in our nation these past couple years. Now, you may remember in the story that Herod's worry bubbled up to anger. The Magi were warned in this dream not to go back to Herod, so they returned to Persia by another route. And in the very next scene of Matthew chapter 2, which we're not going to read right now, but the very next scene, after the Magi defy Herod, Herod gets angry, and he realizes he cannot control the situation. And his distress bubbles up in such a way that he slaughters all the babies under the age of two in and around Bethlehem. It's the non-PG part of the Christmas story. What I find in Herod is what I've found in our culture and I've oftentimes found in myself over these past couple years. It's this terrible cycle of worry leading to fear and fear leading to control and control leading to anger. We'll call it the upside-down, good-for-nothing Christmas tree that you see up there. This is the way it was for Herod. He's very worried. He's very distressed. Then he gets fearful that perhaps there is another king who would be a rival to his throne, and then he seeks to control what God is doing. He can't control what God is doing, but he seeks to control what God is doing. And when he cannot control what God is doing, it turns into bloodthirsty anger all around. And my question for you this evening is, when you find yourself in that good-for-nothing worry cycle, how do you get out of it? Like a couple more Christmas cookies sometimes helps for a moment. Or maybe a shopping spree, some shopping therapy might be good for a moment. Some of us, I fear, have kind of just learned to live in that worry cycle, that we're worried all the time, and we're fearful all the time, and we keep the news on all the time, which keeps us in perpetual fear and worry all the time, and then we try to control things more and control them, and so we get 
angry. And this perpetuates itself. And we can stay in that cycle if we're not careful, even though we realize while we're in it that it's suffocating our soul. Here's what two very different groups of people, the shepherds and the wise men, here's what they did to to escape the cycle of distress, the cycle of worry that was all around them in the first century as well. And this is our very simple big idea for all of us tonight. What the shepherds and the wise men both did is they drew near to Jesus. And the simple idea that I hope you can take home with you tonight, even if you don't remember anything else that I say, is this, you draw near to Jesus and his peace will draw near to you. You choose to draw near to Jesus and little bit by little bit, as you do so, you can escape that ugly, upside down Christmas tree of worry and enter into his peace a little bit more. Imagine again that manger scene in Bethlehem You want to notice the worshipers there. There are these humble shepherds, and they are also there with these regal magi. What you have at the manger scene is both poverty and wealth together. The magi were very wealthy. They bring gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they're there to worship Jesus. The shepherds, likewise, back in that day, farmers made very little money. They were lower-class people, working-class people, and they don't have much to bring to Jesus. But they bring their presence and they bring their worship, which is the very thing that God would invite us to bring, even tonight, even tomorrow morning. Our presence before Jesus, our worship before Jesus, and we bow down before him. They both bow down before Christ. They both kneel. They both offer Christmas worship, and they both receive more of the peace of Christ There's Jews and there's Gentiles at this scene. Again, there's rich and there's poor. And for all of them and for all of us, God's peace is meant to draw near to us today. If I were to describe the meaning of Christmas in just three words, it would be this. God draws near. God chooses to leave the glory of heaven for the dirt of this earth, the beauty of all he experienced for all of eternity, to be with us in our suffering and sadness. God draws near. He draws near and he offers us his peace, but it does take some work on our end. We have to go grab it. We have to go take the peace that he offers to us. Friends, it seems to me that we've been told so often over these past couple years to stay far, far away from each other, haven't we? Stay six feet away. No handshaking, no hugging, no touching, no smiling. Six feet away at all times. It makes me bristle just to think about it. Now, I'm not making light of that, and I don't think anyone was trying to hurt us. I don't believe that. And I in no way make light of the reality of COVID. I have witnessed it firsthand, and it is brutal. I am not making light of that in any way. I am simply saying that we have learned over these past couple years that FaceTime and Zoom and Microsoft Teams won't do, will they? 
Like it's been reinforced to us in a profound and new way that we are meant for deep and meaningful, near, close, human relationships with each other, and we're also meant for the same with God. And so God chooses in Jesus Christ on that first Christmas morning to draw near to us right in the middle of our mess, wherever we might be living tonight. And ultimately, as he draws near, he chooses to bring us peace. Now, one day, uh, you got to know that Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to establish justice and peace on this earth. And we don't experience it fully today, but we can experience a little more of that peace, almost as a foreshadow of his future peace as we draw near to the manger. Biblically speaking, the word for peace is much deeper, more robust than our English word for peace. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Say that with me. Shalom. Oh, man, we got a participatory Christmas Eve crowd. Thank you. Did I hear you from the venue? Shalom. Okay, I heard him. I heard him. Okay. Yeah, they said shalom in the venue. Shalom is this beautiful sense of completeness, of wholeness. Listen to this definition for shalom from pastor and author Warren Worsby. He says, the Jewish word shalom means much more than a truce in the battles of life. It means well-being. It means security and soundness and completeness. The sense of wholeness within my soul. Do you have that tonight? It has to do more with character than with circumstances. That's why we all know people who have terrible circumstances in life, and yet they still have peace. Because deep in their hearts, they have the character of Christ, which leads to peace. Life was difficult at that time, just as it is today. Taxes were high. Unemployment was high. Morals were slipping lower. And the military state was in control. Roman law, Greek philosophy, and even Jewish religion could not meet the needs of men's hearts, and then God sent his son. My friends, this is how we escape the worry, fear, control, and anger cycle. We draw near to Christ. We draw near to Emmanuel, who is called God with us. We draw near to the one who is called the Prince of Peace. And day after day, little bit by little bit, he helps us escape that ugly cycle and live with a deeper sense of shalom. This is what's offered to us. Indeed, this is what Jesus offered at the end of his life as well. He said, my peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, So do not be troubled, do not be afraid, my peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Now, in my experience, like the Magi, it takes some work. You have to go out of your way and you have to go get it. It doesn't just come to you. Jesus came to this earth, he was born and he ultimately died in the cross for you and me to bring us to peace with God and to peace within. But we have to go get that peace that he offers to us. And I find that Christmas Eve and Christmas morning are a really good start for that. Like it's such a beautiful and wonderful celebration though that we can remember the innocence of that manger scene and the light that came in and shined through the darkness. And this can be the beginning of our peace 
But much like you know, so also I have found that I don't eject from that worry cycle unless I discipline my mind and discipline my body to enter into Christ's peace on a week-in and week-out basis. It takes some effort. So my prayer for you, my prayer for your family, is that you would enjoy the richest of Christmas this year But perhaps in 2022, this would lead you to this decision that as the Magi had to go get it, so must I. And week after week, in 2022, we have this opportunity to enter a little bit closer toward Christ, to move a little bit nearer to Him. And wherever you are, like whatever you have come in here tonight with, whatever you believe, I believe that Jesus came to bring you peace that he loves you, that he desires relationship with you, that God drew near to bring you peace. And we actually can eject from that terrible worry, fear, control, anger cycle. And perhaps we could even sing with the angels who say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to you, to your family, on whom his favor rests. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we do say glory to God in the highest. We thank you for the gift of your Son. It's a beautiful story that we've heard so many times, but there is something marvelous about the story that you chose to enter earth to identify with us in our weaknesses, and ultimately to bring us peace. I know there are so many in this room that need it, as does every person on this stage. We need the peace of Christ that surpasses understanding, and we ask, God, that you would grant it to us a little bit more tonight, a little bit more tomorrow, and perhaps a little bit more as we move into 2022. We thank you, Lord for the joy of being together. In Christ's name we pray, amen.